You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. But I do want to let you know where we are. We are, as a church family, reading through a reading plan together, the F260. If you, have, if you would like that, it's in the back. It's also on our website uh, where you can grab the reading plan. We're doing memory verses together, uh, all those fun things. Uh, and then I'm preaching as we go through passages that we are reading together. So at the end of the week, I will be preaching something that you would have read the prior week and kind of piecing it together. So... Our memory verse for this week was 1 John 3, 18, uh, which says this. If you know it, you, know, you can say it along or mouth it because you're nervous about your neighbors. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. And if you're with my kids and you know the song, you have to highlight the truth They like to say that as uh, our song that we did. So truth is a just way to make the, make the song work. So yeah, let us not love in word or speech, but in actions and in truth, which is why telling people you love them is one thing and uh, showing people you love them is a completely different thing. I said to my kids, hey, do you, do you know that I love you? And they go, and they, yeah, I know you love me. I go, why? Because you say it. And I'm like, if I never said it, how would you know? It's a question that I ask myself just to see if like, do I communicate love other than just in how I say it? If I didn't say it, how would you know that it's true? Um, and that's what the scriptures call of us. Not just, you know, it's not just don't ever say you love people, but don't make that just be your manifestation of love, that, that your actions and truth, the way in which you love them is gonna be just as important as saying it, that it aligns, your words and your actions align. So we are in a spot today, which I'm excited about, because for the next three weeks, we're gonna be going through Joseph. The last chunk of Genesis is the Joseph narrative, and you may remember him by his amazing Technicolor dream coat or whatever it is. Uh, so you might remember that, but we have, in, through the Joseph narrative, this kind of up and down of God gave this promise to Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. Jacob has these kids, and then one of these kids gets a whole lot of play there at the end of Genesis. Like he gets a lot of the story and what goes on with him. And this takes up over two decades of the rest of the book of Genesis is this story. So we kind of move through decades of time because then uh, Joseph leaves, he goes to Egypt, all of those things. And there's a question that I think Genesis 37 through 50 is asking, or a way we can ask a question of it that is answering, which is, can we ruin God's plans? Now I know, right? And I go, no, no, of course you can't. I know what we would say, right? And it's again, what we say about what's true and how we live are two different things. So can we ruin God's plans? I think if I just gave you kind of this yes, no, check yes, check no, can people ruin it? Most of you, all of you would say, no. If you believe in God, great, yeah? If you don't believe in God and you said, hey, does somebody who believe in God think they can ruin God's plans? You might say, no, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. We can't ruin God's plans. But let me ask you this. Do you ever feel like maybe God's promises are unsolid ground, things that as you stood on them, they would break up? And, and how you actually live. So you know, hey, we can't really change it, but then day to day, you get a little nervous. For example, things that might make you think that you're standing on fragile ground. There's also a ladybug right here that just showed up. Uh, so like the shirt. So think about this, like, Maybe if you say the wrong thing, you're doomed. You say the wrong thing to somebody and you can't take it back. Well, you've broken it, right? There's a, now, 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 now this thing's done. Or maybe you're nervous, you, may, you marry the wrong person. You go, I don't know, I, I just, I, just, I shouldn't, have, shouldn't have made the decision that I made. Uh, you went left instead of right, you got the wrong job. 
Had I gotten the job, you know, taken the job that was offered 10 years ago, then I would be in a better spot than I am now. Or uh, maybe you just have taken too many missteps in life, like you did 37, and had you done 35, you would have been in a good spot, but those last two really doomed you. And so even though we might say we can't change God's plans, that he is sovereign over those things, at the same time, we often live as if the things that we do, that God's up in heaven going, I can't, I can't fix this. This is too broken. And emotionally, we might even feel that way. We go, oh gosh, I, did, I just don't know. You know, I did this thing, and we have all of this guilt over maybe something that we did, and I don't know how this is gonna get fixed. I don't know how this is gonna change. There's just no way. And so again, what we say and what we believe are often two different things. We say this is true, but we act as if we can really break it. And we know we can't break it. The Joseph story tells us, it shows us that we can't break it. So each week, this week and the following two, we're gonna look at specific parts of Joseph's narrative to go, okay, can we stand on that? Can we stand on that? Can we ruin God's plans? No, we can't. So Genesis 37. Genesis 37. So I'm not really, I don't really care about sermon titles, but this is like a three-part series, right? Our sin, God's, uh, God's promise, part one, two, and three. So get, get excited um, because these are all about Joseph. So our sin, God's promise, and how that works out. And so as we read really the bulk of chapter 37 of Genesis, what we will see of all of Jacob, Joseph, his brother's interactions is that our sin appears to entangle God's plans. Now, use appears on purpose. It appears to entangle God's plan. So let's just look through Genesis 37 and see what happens. Now, remember what is motivating everything thus far is God's promise, God's promise, God's promise, God's promise, God's promise, right? Jacob and Esau, we see supplanting and uh, like one brother's taking the blessing from another brother and God still uses it. Right? He doesn't ever stop using it. Uh, Abraham's nervous about uh, having an heir, and so he goes to the wrong woman, and like the Lord still makes it all work. It's always doing that time and time again. Like there's all these things. We go, is it? Are we ruining it? Is it broken? Is it wrong? Is it gone? And it's not. So a longer passage today, and we're just going to go through 37. We're going to go two through 35. I'm holding out on that last verse on purpose. So two through 35. These are the generations of Jacob: Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Genesis often starts like that. With these are the generations of whomever we're talking about. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their, of them to their father. Now Israel, which is also the name the Lord changes Jacob's name to, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. He made him a robe of many colors, but when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, bad call, Joe, told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hey, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Right? He's 17, okay? Like He's not like, I'm an adult, and I'm gonna tell you all these cool things. Like God is teaching me. He's like, that's how I feel what's going on right here. Listen to my dream, guys. Hey, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood up straight. Don't, I don't use the word sheep in real life. And behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to mine. Well, his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? 
So they hated him even more for his dreams and for these words. Then Joseph dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers. And he said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Look, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, hey, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this saying in his heart. All right, Jacob's going, huh, I wonder what this means. All right, so then, it's kind of setting the stage. Now we move on. His brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said, well, here I am. He said, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man was there wandering the fields and the man asked him, hey, what are you seeking? Well, I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing their flock? The man said, they've gone far away. I've heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come on now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of, the, uh, out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue So Reuben's thinking, I'm gonna rescue him from the hand and restore him to his father. So Reuben's gonna go get him later and bring him back to dad. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into the pit, the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Kind of going, he's going to die there if he stays. That's the point. No water, he's just going to die in the pit. They sat down to eat. So hard-hearted about it. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. They're kind of coming along a trade route. With their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Joseph said to his bro- or Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's just sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother, he's our flesh. We shouldn't kill our brother. His brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by the Ishmaelites, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and those people took Joseph to Egypt. Reuben, who apparently wasn't there at this time, he returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in it, and he tore his clothes, which is a sign of despair. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy's gone, and... uh, where shall I go? They took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat, dipped, the robe, uh, dipped it in the blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father, and they said, this is what we have found. Please identify whether this is your son's robe or not. They're not even talking about it as their brother. Is this your son's robe? It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, no, I shall go to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father 
wept for him. So we're going to stop there, 2 through 35. And just look at the amount of things that man does not from faith. The list gets pretty long, big and small, okay? I'm just gonna go through a list of things that happens in this chapter. Remember, because the statement of our sin appears to entangle God's plans. It appears to kind of mess things up. So as we're moving along, and there's this promise to Jacob, and there's gonna be a nation, and Jacob has these sons, and remember, like a, a reader who's coming out of the Exodus is gonna hear this and go, oh, I know who these sons are, and I know what's going on, but as they're following the story along, they're gonna hear about Joseph, and Joseph's going over here. What is happening to what God said? So let's just look at a few things. Verse three, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. You don't play favorites with your kids. It doesn't work. I love you more because I had you when I was older, right? Like, like, just like, like there's an affection there. My kids love to ask me which one I like more. And I love to tell them. Well, it's your other brothers. <laughs> there is this part of us that wants to know where we stand with mom or dad, right? We always wanna know where we stand. Well, you should know as a parent probably shouldn't play favorites with your kids. But what do we see? Israel, Jacob, loves Joseph more. And his brothers knew it. I didn't get a coat. I mean, just think about Christmas. My kids still tell me, well, they got this gift and they got that gift and you like them more because their Lego set has a thousand pieces and mine has 800 pieces. You love them 200 Lego pieces more than me. Right, so dad is giving gifts out and they see this and what's happening, but they are hating him. So Jacob has favoritism for Joseph and the brothers hated Joseph. They're angry with their brother and their hatred increases as the story goes on. I mean, they're blind with rage about their brother. They can't see straight on anything. They're just angry. Joseph, now this is, I'm gonna put this one in parentheses. I'm curious why Joseph shared with his brothers the dream. I'm just curious, like, well, hey guys, just so you know, this is gonna happen, and you're all gonna bow down to me. Isn't that great? I mean, if I ever have an idea that I have an edge on like maybe one of my siblings, my sister or my brother, or my sons have one has an edge on another, they like to communicate it. They like to talk about the things they're better at or their position of status. I'm not sure if that's going on with Joseph, but Joseph loves to tell his brothers his dream. And so they hate him, right? Verse eight, they hate him because of the first dream he said. And so then he goes and tells them the next dream. Hey, you know, I had this dream once and you hate me because of it. Well, let me tell you about the other dream. It happened again. And so now like, we're increasing and doubling it up. Extra angry. Now then think about this, right? So an observant father would probably catch, seems like some of my sons are mad at this one for whatever reasons, but what does he do? Hey, Joseph, can you go down and check on your brothers who hate you and just see how they're doing? I mean, he's so dense, it seems, that he can't even realize that maybe this is a bad idea. Like, the brothers have hated him multiple times, you're a little curious about the dreams he's dreaming, though you're considering it, but you're still like, huh, I'm gonna, I wonder what's happening here. I wonder what, what, what the Lord might be doing. 
Can you go check on them? I mean, so talk about like sending them in to the battle zone. Hey, there you go. Go on in and just check on them. See how they are. And so he's wandering around. He's like, okay, sure thing, dad. I'm like, hey, 17 year old, right? We, we, we know that you get a little more reasoning by about the time 25, which is why your insurance drops. So we have eight years of uh, brain development that needs to happen before Joseph could go, maybe that's a bad idea. But he obeys his dad. He goes and his brothers are there. And this is what happens with his brothers. They, they weren't planning to kill him. They just kind of group thought a terrible idea. They see him and they're like, hey, great idea. Let's murder him. And everyone's like, okay. I mean, this is what's going on, right? Sometimes Bible language makes us feel like, like, and then thou shalt, and we have all these words, but this is what's going on. His brothers see him and they're like, you know what, we hate him. Dad's not around. Let's just end his life. Let's just end it. And it wasn't like they were, it wasn't premeditated. It was like in the moment, oh yeah. Hate him, let's go ahead and do it. No one's gonna see, no one's gonna know. We could lie to dad about it. And so then you have Reuben who's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Let's not do that. He actually comes back later and he's like, I told you guys, (laughs) this is what was gonna happen. So Reuben shows back up, but they're like, okay, let's not kill him. Reuben tries to save him. But the brothers go, well, you know what? Let's not kill him. Let's make money off of him. He's our brother. I mean, I love the reasoning. Hey guys, we shouldn't murder our brother. He's related to us. You're like, that's right. Let's sell him. Let's sell him. Now there's another weird thing that happens right here in the selling of the brother, which is they still use the lie to dad. Couldn't they have gone to dad and said, hey, I mean, they could have been, it would still be deceitful, but they could have gone, some Israelites found him on the way and he's gone. He's no longer here. That actually happened. Now, that happened because of them, but what do they do instead? Let's let dad grieve. Let's communicate to dad that he's still gone and that he was murdered, torn apart. You know, like, let's say that. Let's use that lie. So they still go to their father and they use part of the lie they were going to do to deceive him in the first place, which is make him think that he's dead. And this is just two through 36. We only have a couple of things here, but you see the amount of times people in their minds are going, oh yeah, 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 that's a great idea. And you have as a parent when your kid comes, they told you they do something stupid and you just say to them, what were you thinking? How many times could you say that in chapter 37? What were you thinking? What were you doing here? I mean, God has promised you these things and yet like, are you trying to break it? Are you trying to destroy what God has promised? Like, do you, do you, are you trying to shatter it? Killing your brother? Having favoritism over a son for whatever reason you want to do it? Like, like what, are you, what are you thinking in this whole story? But I wonder for us, what about our own hearts? Like, how do we approach what God is doing? when we see the activity of God, maybe we see the giftedness God has given some people, the way that he uses them, how he uses them. Can't we also just get blind with rage or jealousy or frustration that we can't see straight? It's not their problem, it's our problem. If something doesn't happen the way that we want it to happen, 
we get bugged. And I go, oh, okay, so it's not just them in chapter 37, it's me too, like I, I get bugged. I go, well, I don't, I remember one time sitting, I was in high school and I was like, I was talking to somebody, I was like, I hate that you get more credit for things than I do. Like, it bugs me, I'm jealous of the credit that you get for things which is a very weird thing to say, but in my flesh, right, I want credit for something. And I saw somebody else having more status, like, oh, I want that. It's the same thing going on here. So God has given this promise of nation, a blessing of land, like he's gonna use Abraham and his descendants. But I mean, you talk about trying to break that. I mean, Genesis gives us a lot of good tries. It's like the pinata that won't break. Like, you're, come on, let's get it. I know, like, if I just, if I'm stupid enough long enough, I know that God's gonna be like, my bad, let's start over. But he's not. Now, I want you to look with me in a moment at verse 36. And what we see is this, our sin doesn't change God's sovereignty. It can't. Now, sovereignty is just his ability to ability and power to control. To, that's what I'm talking about here. His ability to control, to superintend what might be going on. Now, I want you to look at verse 36. Think about, like, the, if it's a camera angle, like over there with Jacob and his sons, there's weeping over the death of Joseph. Now we move over to verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So it's like this little statement of, Joseph's okay. He's, he's okay. Now he's sold into slavery, essentially. He's sold to them and given to the Egyptians, and now he's in his house, but he's not dead. Now I want you, if you can remember what, something that we read through this reading plan in Genesis chapter 15, in verse 15, 13. This is what the Lord says to Abram, Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And so you're kind of putting the pieces together. The Lord says to Abraham, hey, your offspring are gonna be in a land that is not theirs, and they'll be there. Now he says to Abraham, you're gonna die at a good age, but your offspring are gonna be somewhere that's not there, and then the Lord's gonna take them out of that place. And so as you read verse 36, what do you see, right? An, an Israelite who's reading chapter, sorry, chapter 36, reading this book for the first time, and he goes and goes, so that's how we got to Egypt. I mean, the Lord was not unsure even when he was talking to Abraham before Isaac, before Jacob, before his sons. He was not unaware of what was going to happen. And he even spoke it to Abraham is something that was sure to happen. So as we zoom into chapter 36, we see short-sighted people of God trying with their best ability to ruin what God's gonna do. They're not even like, hey, let's ruin God's plans. Like, they're just not thinking. They're just, they're just being foolish, like many of us, and they're trying to destroy it at every turn. Now, you might, with comparative righteousness, go, oh, well, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm like, well, first, you are, I get it, but you are. Given the right conditions, you could do anything. And you see this, and you go, well, I don't know what's gonna happen. But what you'll find time and time again in this Joseph story is God's hand, even when people don't know that God's hand is there. 
that Reuben spoke up and said, we need to do this instead. And they're like, okay, let's do that. And another brother goes, hey, we shouldn't, we shouldn't kill him. Now, even those, even those things done with a spirit of anger or hatred or frustration, and even a little bit of guilt, though, that they feel like, oh, we shouldn't do that. Even those small decisions are being used by God to preserve Joseph's life. Now, if you're familiar with Genesis, where we end is in Egypt. We end there. And we begin Exodus years later out of, and that's where we're gonna go out of Egypt. So we're gonna end this story in Egypt, and then Exodus is gonna begin, and the Lord's gonna bring his people from Egypt. All known by God. The word that I have here is that we should have confidence. You cannot break that which God has said will happen. You can't do it. You may not realize it, you may not see it, and you may not even know how it's all gonna work, but you cannot break it. And I love that. As hard as we might try, we cannot break it. And this lesson is a lesson that is taught to God's people time and time again. Even when Jesus has died and he is in the ground and he's buried, he's in the tomb, what do his disciples do? Well, let's just, I guess, go back to our jobs. I don't know. Like I, they've been walking with Jesus for three years. Jesus is now gone for like just a couple of nights. And they're already like, well, that was a fun run, guys, but let's go ahead and head on out. And they've forgotten. I mean, praise God, it does not require, like his activity does not require me hitting on all faith cylinders because I can't do it. I can't do it. I've said before, like on my best day, I'm like 2% of what I could be. I just can't function and just like, oh man, like God's gonna always get it done. I don't, my flesh gets in there. I make some kind of boneheaded decision. I say something I shouldn't. I do something I shouldn't. And you know what? None of it surprises God. None of it. And so you and I can have confidence in what God is doing. Even in these moments where we feel like there might be no hope, we can have confidence in what God is doing. We can believe. We don't always know what it'll be. We don't always know how it'll work out, but the things that God has said will come about, will come about. And in moments where we get fearful of how that might be, don't. So I think of people who might, for example, be going to Thailand. What does God say about his heart for the world? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be worshiping the risen Lord Jesus. So when somebody, anybody comes to me and says, I, I believe that the Lord would have for us to go to an unreached people group, I go, well, the Lord believes that too. That's what he wants. Great, go, go. If your to-do list is one thing or it's 700 things to get there, head on out. Why? Because God wants his name to be known amongst the nations. What will it do to my family? Or what will it do here? Or what will it do there? How might this might work? I don't know. I don't know if it'll be good. I don't know if it'll be bad. I don't know if you'll get dengue fever. Like, I don't know those things. But what do I know? 
The Lord is concerned about the name of Jesus being preached in places that it has not been preached before. So in all of our fallenness and brokenness, we go. And we lift up the name of Jesus. Because we can't break it. So for those of us who might even this morning be be fearful that some decision we made, something we did, something we said, something we didn't do, that it somehow has handcuffed God into only having to act in a certain way. That is not the case. And that is never the case. He is working in all situations for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, which is the memory verse that we're going to have this week. All things work together, even when we don't know how. So I want to pray for us in that. Heavenly Father, we do not live as you would often have us live. We do not believe often as you would have us believe. We do not serve often as you would have us serve. But you are active. And you are moving. And you are sovereign. And you are good. And we praise you for that. We praise you that in our failure, you are faithful We praise you that in our brokenness you are strong. We praise you that when we think we are being incredibly faithful and firing on all cylinders, that you, Lord, are really the only one who is faithful. Might you, by the power of your spirit, give us confidence in the things that you have said. Also, Lord, might you remove the guilt that we feel when we think we break things. That you be glorified through us, your church, to make Jesus known that we could stand confidently on his promises. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.